Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. We are going to continue the conversation with Lundy Bancroft today as we discuss his book, When Dad Hurts Mom. You can find this book on our website, btr.org backslash books. Also links to Lundy's other books you can find there. Those links will just take you right to Amazon. So it's very easy for you. You can also see my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, there on that books page, also available on Amazon. I know many of you are going through harrowing times, especially with this ongoing coronavirus situation. So many of you are stuck in your homes with an emotionally or psychologically abusive man, and it is hard. It's hard to figure out, first of all, is this abuse? It's hard to really wrap your head around the fog of what's happening to you. And so Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group is the perfect way to get support uh, all the time, but especially now you don't have to schedule any appointments you don't have to leave your home you can do it from your closet from your your parked car in your driveway we made it specifically for you knowing the challenges that you face most likely as a mom most likely in this psychologically abusive situation where you're trying to sort through what happens when women join betrayal trauma recovery group they get unlimited live support. We have multiple sessions a day in every single time zone. So check out our website, btr.org, to get more information. And we'd love to see you in a session today. Now we're going to continue the conversation with Lundy Bancroft. Primarily, we're starting with a discussion about his book, When Dad Hurts Mom. Does the book outline what women can do to hopefully navigate the legal system in order to perhaps arm them or prepare them better for this very difficult legal situation that is neutral, which benefits the abuser. There is a chapter in When Dad Hurts Mom on navigating the family court system. And I give quite a number of ideas about sort of how to have your best chance there. But at the same time, I want to caution people that you can do everything right strategically in family court and still not have it go well because it's a system that's so broken and in our time has become a system that's ironically so stacked against moms. When people hear about the family court, they say, oh, that's a system that's really stacked against dads. That went out 40 years ago, believe it or not. That went out so far back and people still think it's true today. In the 1980s, there was a huge shift over to the other side. By 1990, the courts had become very solidly pro-father environments. So you want to stay out of the family court if you possibly can. You try to reach negotiations, make deals where you can, find ways to avoid putting it in a judge's hands if you possibly can. But yeah, I'll just quickly say a few things from that chapter. One is that you're forced to be as conciliatory sounding as possible. You really have to go into family court sounding like you want to work things out. I don't mean to work your relationship out, but I mean that you want to work things out peacefully with the children because the courts are very biased towards moms who come in with hostility towards their exes. Men are permitted to come into custody with a lot of hostility towards their exes, but women are not. It's a very gender biased system. And so it's important to come in looking like you're really prepared to try to work things out and try to set up systems where he'll be the one to blow it, where the court will finally start to see what he's really like. That's one thing I talk about is that it really requires some patience. Another thing I talk about is to try to really be focused on what's going to best help your kids, because 
the court may make terrible decisions and you may still be able to get your kids through it. Or the court may make good decisions and your ex may still be able to do some psychological harm to your kids. I think women, when they're in the custody system, feel like if the custody system makes good decisions, my kids are going to be okay. And if the court system makes bad decisions, my kids are not going to be okay. And it's really not that simple. There's a lot that you can do to make things go better for your kids, regardless of what the court does. The court is largely going to make bad decisions. That's just the way the custody courts work. And then I talk about the importance of doing your best to find a lawyer who understands something about this specific terrain, the issue of battling about, over the children with an abusive man. Because there are lawyers out there who are really great divorce lawyers who still don't know this particular terrain. And so you can get referred to a certain lawyer because a ton of people say, oh, so-and-so is such a good divorce lawyer, that's who you want. And that person is trained in how to fight over assets, how to fight over houses, how to fight over pensions, or how to do a custody dispute with someone who's not an abuser. But how to do a custody dispute with someone who is an abuser involves a very, very specific set of challenges that a lawyer needs to have that specific experience in. So those are just a few examples of a whole bunch of things that I talk about in that chapter. Honestly, we need we need a whole book written, that, which I can't take on, but I'd love to see somebody take on. Actually, I know just the person to do it, but I don't know if they have time right now. A whole book that's specifically for abuse survivors, just about managing these very, very gender biased custody courts that we're dealing with at this moment in history. Yeah, that would be super helpful. So many women are hurting and their children are hurting. This is another level of trauma for these victims because not only are they not getting help from the therapist and not from their clergy, but also then the court system further victimizes them and their children. And so it's just the pain and the suffering and the chaos at times seems to just be ongoing forever. I like calling us victims. People are like, no, because you don't want people to like stay in victim mode. And I'm like, I don't like the word survivor because it feels like you survived something. Like I survived the Titanic and then you can go on your merry way. And I'm like, I still hold a no contact boundary. I have all these boundaries, but I'm actually technically, literally still being victimized by my ex, both through my kids and through his lies about me and other things. And it just feels like, okay, this will last forever, even though I feel pretty good and I set boundaries. Can you speak to that for a little bit? Maybe society's misunderstanding that divorce doesn't stop abuse. I have said sometimes to audiences of mine that I think we need to find a word. Maybe we have to create a word that communicates both victim and survivor. Because my main concern is when someone's been through a really bad thing, how do they want people to see them? How do they want to be seen? How do they want to be viewed? And my experience is that people want you to see both pieces. They want you to see how beaten up they are. And sometimes that's literal and sometimes that's emotional, but they want you to see how thrashed they were by the experience. But they don't want you to just see that. They want you to also see that they're still a human being, that they have a whole history of things that they have loved and things that they have done, that they have a whole future of things that they will love and will do, that they got through this thing. And I don't like the way the term survivor kind of erases the whole 
part of them that's feeling really shredded. And I don't like some of the limitations of a good victim, the way it then leads that person to just be seen only in terms of their wounds. Whereas I think most people want you to see their wounds, but also want you to see everything else. The fact that they're a painter or the fact that they play the guitar or the fact that they swim or, you know, all these other things, the fact that they're a wonderful mom, whatever, all these other things, who they are besides someone who's where they're feeling shredded inside. So I hope sometime we can come up with a term that somehow captures both victim and survivor. But I'm with you. I, I really agree that sort of jumping right to survivor is not seeing the whole person either. Mm -hmm. Or her continued experience, even though she might be doing really well and the abuse actually might still be ongoing because her abuser might be actively, even if she's divorced from him, even if she never talks to him, still literally being abusive to her by lying about her or other things, you know, ongoing into the future. So I think I have the word for it and I use it all the time. I call us she -ros. I like it. And the reason I call us Shiro's is because it shows like, okay, I had this difficult thing that I had to face and I was my own hero. I stood up to the plate, I faced it, and I saved myself. So that both recognizes, and it can be ongoing, like I continued to be a Shiro through my continued experience being divorced from an abuser and, and sharing kids with him. This can be an ongoing positive label, I think. And so I've been calling us Shiro's for a long time. I hope it sticks, but every time I bring it up, the women who like the word survivor, they want to stick with that. So anyway, I use the word Shiro. So if you want to start using it, be my guest. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I think your point is really important about the kind of popular assumption that somehow, oh, you're not with him anymore. So the abuse is over. And abusers find so many ways to continue the abuse. And particularly when you share children with him, the abuse just doesn't stop. It never stops. Certainly doesn't stop until your kids reach their majority, but doesn't necessarily even stop them. And so I think you're right. I think I should put more emphasis on that point of how so often it becomes like a way of life. Dealing with him becomes a way of life. And you're trying to figure out how to build a really good life in the midst of that and some people manage to do that which is wonderful but you do have to be a bit of a hero to do that we're awesome she rose listening you are amazing i'm proud of you and love you and so does lundy you can tell through his voice and I, we so appreciate your work on our behalf for all of the she rose listening to this podcast who feel dumb who feel stupid that they didn't recognize the abuse or feel like, how could I have let that happen to me? Do you have any words of comfort to give them? Abusers are so good at what they do. I so wish that weren't true, but it really is. I worked with about a thousand abusers, over a thousand abusers directly during the years that I was running groups for abusers. And they're in a really twisted, unhealthy way. They're clever. They're creative. They're persuasive. They have a lot of acting and theatrical skills. They can come off as different people in different situations. They're very persuasive in the early kind of dating phase or, you know, first getting more serious phase of a relationship. Those that first year, that first two years, sometimes even longer than the first couple of years. They're slick. They're slick. They're con artists. I don't think they necessarily are planning to turn bad later. I think it happens almost like on this automatic kind of unconscious level, but they're skilled. Abusiveness is tragically a skill and it's understandable 
that you end up being rough on yourself in various ways about it, but you really don't deserve it. You really don't deserve it. I can tell you from having spent so much of my life around the offenders that they could fool pretty much anybody. And they do. That's the thing. That's a lot of what's making your life so difficult is the fact that he's fooling judges and relatives and friends and people at your church and people at your athletic club. And it's like, if he's fooling so many different people, how are you in some way a bad person or a not smart person? Because he managed to pull the wool over your eyes. He does this. He's doing this everywhere he goes. And this issue of ending up involved with an abusive man happens to every, there's no special kind of woman that this doesn't happen to. People think, oh, if I'd been like this or I'd been like that, and, and it's just not so. I mean, I've known women from every walk of life, from every level of education, women who were sharp as tacks and how smart they were. Unfortunately, nobody's abuse proof. And I, I wish people were abuse proof. Certainly once you've come through it, you're better defended against abuse because now you know a lot of things about what to look for. But you know, what if when you were eight years old, people had started telling you what to look for? Nobody does. It's like young women, girls and young women are kept totally in the dark about what the warning signs are of an abuser. In fact, they're encouraged to be attracted to exactly the things you should most be running 100 miles away from. And then it's like, oh, well, why did you pick an abuser? Well, I picked an abuser because that's exactly what I had been taught to do from the moment I was born. No offense to people who may love Fifty Shades of Grey, but Fifty Shades of Grey is a book that trains women to be attracted to the things that we should most run away from. I only got through the first 20 pages of that book because it was so revolting to me. But within the first 20 pages, that guy had covered essentially every warning sign that I teach women about, that I talk about and why does he do that, that I list off on my website. Like These are the things to watch out for in the early days of a relationship. The guy covers them all. It's not your fault that no one ever told you what to watch out for. People say, oh, don't go outside with not enough clothes on because you'll get pneumonia and don't walk out in traffic because you'll get killed. But as this old colleague from a long time ago, Sarah Buell said to me, they never tell you, be careful who you marry. Tell you all these other things to watch out for. Anything you can do to stop dumping on yourself. And then the other thing, the message I really like to get across is your kids really, really need you. You're their mom. And he may have made you feel like you're a bad mother. He may have made you feel like somehow you're toxic. You're the one that's contaminating these kids. You're the reason why these kids have problems. You're not some sort of toxic waste dump. That's just an image that he tried to get across. You're these kids' mother. You are absolutely crucial to them. They came from you. They need you desperately. And they need you all the more because this other man in their lives is such a destructive force. You're really, really crucial to these kids. Please try to never underestimate how valuable you are to them, how much they love you. Even when they're not looking like they love you on a deeper level, they really love you. Try to just keep remembering that you have the capacity to be such an important force for good in their lives. They really need you. Thank you. So I am an active member of my church, but the listeners to this podcast come from all walks of life, right? So every religion you can think of, some of the women who listen to this podcast are non-religious. But just for our religious listeners really quickly who have 
sort of this paradigm of stand by your man or the family is the most important thing and you need to love and serve and forgive. And those are the most important qualities or the most important principles to abide by at the expense of boundaries, perhaps. Do you have any thoughts for women in the religious community who are caught in abuse? They can't quite figure out how to separate themselves from the harm due to the principles and values they really hold dear. It's such a complex and involved discussion. So I'm going to say just a couple of brief comments. And so much of it comes down to, on the deepest level, what are your spiritual beliefs? But I don't believe that there were any people who were put on this earth so that their lives could be sacrificed to other people's lives. I just can't see the world that way. And so I'm incapable of unwilling to see that women's lives somehow are here to be sacrificed to the lives of men. So that's point one. Point two, I actually don't think you do an abuser a favor by enabling him. And now I'm not talking about the woman because I don't think partner enables him, but she's just trying to survive. But who enables him is the court system and his friends and his relatives and his church. And they say, oh, well, we're just trying to be supportive of him. And we're just trying to, to be there for him too. No, you're not actually. You're abandoning him. Every time you back up an abuser, you're horribly abandoning the woman, obviously. But you're also abandoning the man. I mean, he's going to be in his abusiveness for the rest of his life until someone makes him stop. And an abuser doesn't stop until he's very, very forcefully called out by a lot of different people in a lot of different directions. And one of the best places for that to happen is his church. It's really powerful and important when churches say to abusers, you can't keep acting this way anymore. We're going to set all kinds of limits on you. You're not actually even going to be allowed to come to services on days that she's at services. You're going to have to make really significant changes. And actually, if we don't see really significant changes down the line, we're going to have to have you out of our community. And I understand why people are really reluctant to take that step. They want to be a community where everybody's welcome, but you're not. That's the thing. It's not a community where everybody's welcome because abused women are not welcome and safe there if you're allowing abusers to be there. When you say, well, we allow abusers to be here because we are open to everybody, that's just not true. You're not open to everybody if you're allowing abusers to be there. You're keeping so many other people out. So... The most important thing that needs to happen, and it is happening in many faith communities in our time, is that this discussion needs to happen. Well, what does inclusivity look like? If we're including someone in a way that means that other people aren't safe to come. Is that really inclusivity? How do you handle an abuser? How do you actually stop an abuser? Do abusers change from religious conversion? And the answer, unfortunately, is they don't. That can be a very hard thing for religious people to accept. But I've seen abusers have tremendous powerful religious experiences, get much more serious about their religion, get much more serious about their religious practices, become much more regular about attending church, and their treatment of women did not improve an ounce. It didn't move an inch. The only way that a guy overcomes his abusiveness is by dealing with his abusiveness, not by any other kind of change of life or change of faith or change of health or psychotherapy or anything else. And then the last thing I want to say is, your faith community should be a place that wants the best for you, that wants you to thrive. It shouldn't be a place that wants you to be a martyr, to sacrifice your life to somebody else. That makes no sense. We want everyone on this earth to thrive. And there are faith communities that completely pull behind the abused woman. 
where she's immediately, once anybody knows what's going on, she is just showered with support. People are there for her. People are offering her places to stay. People are offering her money if she needs money. They're starting to keep a really close eye on the abuser and what he does. They don't have to turn against him. All they have to do is start keeping an eye on him. If they start keeping an eye on him, they're going to see for themselves the nature of the problem. And people say, well, what if she's lying? And I say, well, keep an eye on him. Over time, you'll start to be able to tell that she's telling the truth because she's almost always telling the truth. So your faith community should be 100% behind you. You shouldn't be in a position of having to think, oh, do I choose my faith or do I choose my right to live not being treated this way? But those two should go right together. Your faith community should be so wanting you to stand up for your rights. I couldn't agree more. Lundy, you have been such a source of inspiration and validation, especially, I do need to say this, so our listeners are, although people from all walks of life are abused and abuse is a human rights issue, my specific mission is to help women abused by men. So our listeners are women. We always use the pronoun she when we're talking about the victim and he when we're talking about the perpetrator. And I have to say from a personal perspective that it's been so validating to have you, a man, genuinely understand it and stand up for women everywhere and be a warrior for women's rights. And I can't express how validating that has been. And also when I have given your book to other men in my life who are safe men and they have read it and they've really seen how, wow, I didn't really understand abuse before. It's just been so validating. And um, I don't think that our community can thank you enough. So thank you so, so much for all of your hard work and your fight on behalf of victims. Well, you're very welcome. And to, to me, it's just been an honor to be accepted as an ally within this effort to fight for women's rights. So I really appreciate getting to be part of this effort. Thank you. Again, you can find Lundy's books on our website, btr.org backslash books. If this podcast is helpful to you, please rate it on iTunes and your other podcasting apps. Every single one of your ratings helps isolated women who don't know what is happening to them, who are going to the internet to try and find answers. It helps them find us. We don't want them to find articles about how they can improve their communication or how they can be more sexy or, you know, whatever it is. We want them to find information about abuse because that will genuinely help them and they'll be able to recognize is this an abusive situation? If it's not, they'll know. It won't apply to them. But if it is, they'll be able to start making their way to emotional, psychological, and sexual safety. So we appreciate every single one of your ratings on iTunes. Every comment that you make on our podcast, on our website, helps women find us. Rating the book Trauma Mama Husband Drama on Amazon helps them find us. Even if they never buy the book, they'll at least be able to see there's this podcast that's free to them. Women all over the world appreciate your help so they can find this important free resource, which is the podcast. Similarly, to support this podcast, go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom and click on support the podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.